Hello, everyone. You are listening to Counseling Conversations with Carmel and Christine, brought to you by the Illinois Counseling Association. My name is Carmel. And I'm Christine. And we have an amazing panel here for you today. So Christine, go ahead and take it away. Awesome. Thanks, Carmel. Okay, today we're talking about careers in academia. Um, and today we have with us Dr. Ken Kubicek, Dr. Mandy Kellams Baraka, and Dr. Kyle Preston Goodwin. Welcome, all three of you wonderful people. We're so excited. It's our first panel <laughs> podcast interview. So, as we were saying before we press the record button, uh, we're going to do a little roundtable style of question and answers because we can't wait to hear about your experience in academia. Um, I have found a lot of people ask about that. A lot of my, my staff and other counselors that I know are interested in how do people get into teaching and education and also like when you're, you're coming from being a counselor. Um, I think especially with our kind of the climate of our profession right now, people are getting burned out really easily doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. I think a lot of people are interested in other avenues of their career and what they could do in a different way. I know I am personally, I've always kind of, I've always been very curious about, um, oh, could I teach? Could I do, you know, an adjunct position somewhere? What would I even wanna teach? What levels could I teach? I mean, I've definitely thought about it. So I know if I've thought about it, then everyone else has probably thought about it in some capacity as well. So thank you all for being here today. Um, I wanna get started on some questions. Let me just pull up my questions real quick. Why don't you all just share with us a little bit about your background and your journey through your um, counseling career in academia? But we can definitely start with your background because I, I did not get a chance to do that because there's so many of you. <laughs> Who would like to start? I'll jump in there. Uh, I'm Ken Kubitschek. Um, I just recently retired last December from Lindenwood University. Uh, Congratulations. One of, one of our star students is on this panel, Carmel, and uh, so proud to have her um, be a part of Lindenwood and all of her work in the field and with the ICA. But um, my path was kind of strange. I, uh, as you can tell, I'm a little bit older. I started uh, uh, my in undergraduate, took a general studies course in psychology and fell in love with it. <clears throat> And somebody told me, you'll never get a job unless you have a doctorate degree. So I thought, hmm, I don't know if I want to commit to that. So I switched to mathematics. I got a degree in mathematics. And teaching was at the very bottom of my list. That's when computers were first becoming a big deal. And I was going to be a computer programmer. Mm -hmm. I'm following in the footsteps of my brother who was a computer programmer at McDonnell Douglas and worked on the Mercury space program. Well, uh, when I graduated from the university, I got immediately drafted into the army and ended up in Germany as opposed to Vietnam, fortunately. And while I was there, um, witnessed the aftermath of a, a um, suicide attempt and decided that maybe if that young soldier would have had a, a teacher who could have helped him gain some self-esteem and self-confidence. Maybe he could have uh, survived better in a foreign country and a different culture and whatever. So when I got out, I went back and got my master's degree in education and became a high school math teacher. Uh, it was a fantastic education program at SIU Edwardsville at the time. They were big in uh, humanistic education, which was kind of a, 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 just a new idea of, of teaching. And it, it um, prepared me well for the idea of teaching. So I taught high school math for several years and served in administration for several years. And my last year of working for a religious order as a lay teacher, I uh, worked at a retreat house and developed programs for adult children of alcoholics, which was a hot topic at that time. This is back in the 80s. And realized that I, what I really wanted to do was to go into mental health. So I moved on and um, got my doctorate in counseling from St. Louis University and worked in a hospital 
setting for 16 years, inpatient, outpatient, psych, and chemical dependency. And uh, during that time, I was writing some um, informal articles for a magazine that went into uh, the weekend newspaper. And the person who was the a coordinator of the counseling program at Lindenwood University Extension Campus in Belleville called me and asked if I'd be willing to teach a couple of classes. So I started off teaching two classes in the summer and about five weeks into the program, into the semester, I thought this would be cool. I think maybe I'd like to do this full time. So I said, if something full time ever opens up, I'd be interested. And five weeks later, I had a contract to be a full time professor. So that's how I entered into the field. Now, keeping in mind my my um, um, training and education and teaching for high school served me well in the teaching methods that I used for uh, graduate school. I was there 10 months and the person who hired me left and all of a sudden I became the uh, program director after 10 months. Now, I had a lot of experience supervising and managing, but not at a higher ed facility. So that was quite a baptism by fire for me. I ended up doing it for about 16 years and loved it, loved the students. Um, we had, uh, I was also responsible not only for admissions of, into our program, but for hiring people to teach in the program. And initially, um, Lindenwood University main campus is in St. Charles, Missouri, and this extension campus was in Belleville, Illinois, okay? And uh, after um, our program was approved by Illinois Board of Higher Education, they said only people with a doctorate could teach master's level students. And we started off with some phenomenal master's level teachers that I had to let go. Um, and so, uh, until COVID hit, um, I was teaching at Belleville and, and um, directing the program, and then COVID hit, and they decided to move the Belleville campus back to the St. Charles campus. Now, at the St. Charles campus, I, I wasn't program director there. I was a regular professor. They could uh, utilize people with a master's degree to teach uh, in the master's level program which I, I think is a great idea as long as they have the knowledge and experience, whatever. I guess that's about it. And then it was just last December when I decided I'd retire at age 72. I'd, I'd worked for a long, long time. And uh, I still do some private practice part-time, three days a week, about 10 to 15 clients a week. And, uh, and then... Uh, saw Carmel's progress through uh, the ICA, and uh, she asked me to do this. I wasn't sure, since I had such a strange path to higher ed, how that would apply. But I mean, I imagine there could be other counselors who would take a similar strange path, because I wasn't, uh, when I was working in the hospital setting, I, I could have done research, but I, uh, I, I wouldn't have gotten release time or anything like that. So I would have had two full-time jobs. So I didn't go the path of research and publication to get into the academic field. And uh, since my background was in a clinical setting, that's what they expected of me was to utilize my clinical background as opposed to uh, publishing and research. I think that pretty much covers it. Wow, impressive, impressive. And hearing you talk about the Belleville campus in, at Lindenwood, Whenever I graduated in 2003, which was 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, they didn't have the Belleville campus. I took all my classes at the St. Charles campus and Westport. There was a, uh, a satellite or extension uh, campus there. So just very shortly after I graduated, they opened up the Belleville campus and I was a little frustrated. I'm like, I drove all the way out to St. Charles for two years. <laughs> so it's it's great to hear your your history there. And a lot of us have had a, a different path. Christine and I, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to listen to some of our other episodes, but we did talk about our path to uh, private practice and it wasn't necessarily linear. So thank you. Mm -hmm.
I can go next. And, and I appreciate just the, right, the emphasis on the uniqueness of our journeys, because can I, I like your, your title of the strange path because, and I wrote it down because like, yes, that captures it. Um, I started in education. I grew up on a farm in Southern Illinois where the, um, you know, the careers that were modeled for me were very much shaped by the environment around me. And my mom was a, was the first person in our family to pursue higher education and she was a teacher. And so that was what was modeled for me. And so that was really, as I thought about going to college, that was what I knew. Um, and I liked being in the classroom with her. And, um, you know, the, the other careers uh, that people in my, uh, in my world had were working in um, corrective correctional officers or working in, um, you know, other systems and structures that are part of uh, much of Southern Illinois, um, you know, systems. But uh, the pathway for me was in elementary education. But after I student taught, I knew that I did not want to be in the classroom for the next 35 years. And um, the opportunity was open uh, for me after I graduated from college to serve for two years with a faith-based organization internationally. And that's where I began to really discover I like this. Um, and I did work in education and I agreed to, um, to stay in education for eight more years. And so my path to counseling is really that of a second career because it was through doing education consulting with families where our conversations would start about math facts and about why an eight-year-old was having difficulty like memorizing, memorizing multiplication tables and, and as I would listen, I would think there's a whole lot more going on here and I don't have the tools to know where to take this conversation further. And it sounds like your kid's really lonely. And, and parents, as I listen to you, I, I can't put words to what I'm hearing from you either, but there's a lot of emotion that I'm hearing in, in what is going on. And so that's, that's how I began this path of, I need, I need more education. I can't stay in this education space, which is an important, important role of supporting people across the lifespan. But I knew for me, I wanted to be equipped in a different way. Um, and so I considered, I was living in South Asia at the time and was looking at what, uh, what master's programs in counseling, um, as I was encouraged, and uh, I was looking for programs that I could be back living in South Asia as fast as possible. And Wheaton College had a two-year program. And my thinking was, if I go to school in Illinois, I will not have to change my driver's license. It's a fast program. This is, this is my thinking, right? Uh, that's, that's what I'll do. Um, but as I, uh, as I, as I was, I applied for the program, enrolled, and began uh, discovering about counseling. It it began making sense, and it it's this heart of oh, this is what this is what I I I want to do. I want to hold people's stories, and I want to be able to do this. And my professors at the time um, began listening to the ways that I. Um, I was speaking about wanting to take what I was learning and and engage in um, in in sharing with communities with in which I was working previously, and I was uh, strongly encouraged that the resources available to do the work that I was talking about predominantly were connected to to universities or or other things, and at the grassroots level, I probably would not be able to do these things. And so I was strongly urged to consider uh, PhD programs in counselor education. And so as a third career, I pursued, uh, I applied for and, and um, was accepted into a PhD program. And so as I think about my education journey, I have the bookends. I have elementary 
education to start. I have a counseling journey in the heart, and then I have counselor education at the end. And I, and I feel like it frames the way that I approach teaching in the classroom. Um, and so I am now in my second year at Wheaton College, uh, my, my master's alma mater. Um, I worked six years previously um, in uh, an online program at Huntington University. I was the only online faculty and began and was able to do, um, you know, hybrid uh, type work there, but have really enjoyed being able to be um, in person with students, being able to do um, just mentoring. There are numerous international students here, um, as well as the consideration of how do you take what you learn in this context and apply it uh, into a space of your own passport country and, and want to um, use what is there. I've also appreciated being able to connect with ICA and do more and more um, as the years have gone by. And so we very much uh, take a servant practitioner scholar model. And so Ken, as you were talking about the, my pathway didn't go through the research approach, mine didn't either. I very much came through uh, the servant practitioner and now I am actively uh, in the scholar uh, mode um, and, and like to, to say that you know it is because of my experiences that that I I desire to be able to engage in this way. So yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I love to hear the journey of everyone because I think it does shape who we are. I think Dr. Mandy, you said it shaped how you teach. Um, I would I would say the same thing about how I counsel. My journey has shaped how I do counseling. Um, and when people ask me what my theoretical orientation is, which I hate that question, I just say it is the Christine Barker method of counseling. Okay, that's what it is. Nice. But it's true, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Dr. Kyle Preston Goodwin, would you like to share? Yes, um, we will be here all day if I was to go through <laughs> every detail of event of my very much so life. Um, so for myself, I am born and raised on the west side of Chicago um, and very much so um, an impoverished neighborhood. And I saw a lot of mental health and things present without knowing that that what that was what was happening besides I did have a relative who um, was clinically diagnosed with schizophrenia and so I grew up seeing these things take place yet there was this battle on the inside of like hold on what is happening because of my religious belief says one thing yet um, in this natural world is showing up in a different way and so I was always curious about the brain and the mind of a person um, with that being said, I entered into community college after high school, trying to um, avoid debt going into college. So I, 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 I said that I was going to study pre-med. And so I entered into all of these courses and was doing microbiology and, and things. Um, I did not like psychology at the community college at all. So I, was, so I said, no, I'm not going to go that route. Um, after being um, at the community college, I decided to wake up one day and just said, I've had enough. And so I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, and that was very much so short-lived <laughs> due to a training injury that occurred, whereas it left me a bit immobile for uh, a while. Um, so after my short-lived career in the Marines, which I really loved and enjoy, I did see um, several um, Marines who had tried to commit suicide or they were just struggling with their uh, experience from going over deployment into what was happening at that time within our country. Um, and so I decided after being discharged, I have to do something with my life. And what is that? What can I do? I've, I've been, I've grown up in, in, in the projects of Chicago and I've seen mental health there. I've also enlisted into this great service um, where, and have met some of the the best people I've ever come in contact with who are still my best friends here. And I see how some of them are suffering from mental health disorders due to being deployed. Um, so what am I able to do to service both communities? Um, therefore, I, I 
enrolled in University of Phoenix in San Diego. It was on campus, so it was not online. So my entire experience for undergraduate at University of Phoenix was in person and I studied and I obtained a bachelor's in human services. Um, and then I sat there and I and I Googled the salary for human services living in California. And I said, um, I'll still be a poor man doing this work. So what is it that a brother needs to do <laughs> in order to elevate? Uh, I packed up all my things and then I returned back to Chicago uh, and I moved back in with my family and um, I just said, okay, now I need to go back to school to get a master's. I was already, um, I already made a decision and I made up my mind on what I wanted to do and that was counseling. And I had applied for a program at the VA called Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, and you're only able to do that if you have a, a certain percentage of service-connected disability. So I enrolled in voc rehab is the, the short term. And, uh, and therefore, I was originally was supposed to attend a, a particular institution, which has now closed down. But the VA would not fund that institution. Um, and therefore, that's how I ended up at Lewis University. And it was the best decision that I could have ever made. And I really enjoyed studying um, clinical mental health counseling at Lewis University. Um, I've met some of the best educators there, and I'm still in contact with them and I'm currently adjuncting there and we can talk about that later um, but I really enjoyed my time there and after getting uh, my degree at Lewis in clinical mental health um, I was trying to avoid getting a doctorate for a little bit sometimes and then I decided to apply to two institutions and then they they said no and, I, and then I said to myself what is going on? What is happening? I have a great GPA. All of my application material is cool. So gave myself a two-year break. Um, and I believe that we end up places where we're supposed to due to the movement of God in my, in my beliefs. And so I ended up at a concert, random concert. Uh, I didn't want to go, but I ended up going because my friend was like, come on out. And so one of the instructors from um, NIU was there, Northern Illinois University. And they asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm very passionate about clinical mental health and what is happening. I believe that we uh, sometimes just have some really sucky clinicians who are practicing mental health. <laughs> what is going on? And so I, I disclosed that my passion is to educate and gatekeep that process. And so she told me, hey, you know what? Uh, we have a pre-admission workshop happening this week. I know you have not submitted the application or the materials, but you should come to our pre-admission workshop. And I said to myself, oh, Lord Jesus, um, I don't know about this. But I, I I had faith and I attended the pre-admission workshop and I gave it my all and I disclosed to them my research agenda, my passion about mental health. I disclosed about the trauma of, of growing up in Chicago and then also military experiences. And so that is how I ended up here in counselor education and supervision. And I'm a novice counselor educator as the, um, Dr. Baraka and uh, Christine knows. But I'm excited about entering into the spaces as Kyle, and that is something that I'm choosing to do to be my authentic self and not um, reduce who I am as a Black man to fit in into the system of counselor education. So I'm extremely excited about this journey. And it's a pleasure to meet all of you. Bye. <laughs> wow, Thank impressive. Uh, go ahead, Carl. I was going to say thank no, you for I sharing. Just, I was just thinking all three of their past and their stories is so impressive and just so interesting. I'm intrigued and I, I could have listened to the, the three of them for honestly to talk about their history for the next 30 I was like, minutes. oh, no, I'm going to have to say something. I'm not I'm not done with the what yeah. I'm listening to here. No, thank you for sharing. Kyle, do you want me to call you Kyle or Dr. Kyle? um just kyle that's fine just kyle okay um but i think just a similar theme even though everyone's stories are and and journeys to to getting to where you are so different is the passion that led you here and even though they came from different reasons right it landed you in a in a role where you want to make a difference in in people's lives from an education standpoint um and and that's just for me that's beautiful like and so everybody who is listening 
you might not relate to the exact story, but you're going to have your own story. You're going to have your own journey. And I think another common thread I've, you know, not to be too therapisty, but I hear, I heard everybody kind of saying was like, you are finding yourself in kind of each part of your journey and, and listening to what felt, um, authentic to you. And so that's some, a word that keeps coming to my mind too, is, you know, everyone was like, I'm, I'm following this path, even though what, what did Dr. Kubitschek, you call it the, or you told me to call you Ken, the, the strange path might sound like the strange path, but it's, it's the, your path of, and I think listening to yourself and what are, what is interesting to you, what is passionate for you, what you care about. Um, you know, that's what I've heard in all of your stories that led you to where you are, which I believe is going to make you, it, you know, cause I don't know you as educators, you know, fantastic educators. Kyle, I love what you said about like you wanting to, to gatekeep the process. So that like spoke to me when you said that I was like, oh, should, I, should I go be a, a, an educator? Because I kind of feel similarly that, you know, your, th that is such a, a great word for our educators is being a gatekeeper. Like you are molding the future counselors of our, in our society. That, that was very profound for me. I don't know, hit me like a ton of bricks. Okay. Yes. Um, thank and you. I, and I wanted to add that I'm hearing all of them say that they brought pieces of that history and that experience mm -hmm. to the process to their current position. And just hearing 100%. Dr. Kyle say he's going to be himself authentically. And mm -hmm. that's important for him and to show up as himself so that he can be the best educator that, that he can be. And I heard Dr. Mandy and Dr. Ken say the same thing. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And to just like jump in this, like we're, we are all part of professions that pass one another along. And I think it's mm -hmm. such, such a, like an important thing to honor those that have invested in, in us. Right. Cause we are like in, in our professional development as counselor educators, like we are counselors first. And we know that we have had count, like we have had counselor educators and professors who invested in us in the education journey, we've had supervisors that invested in us as we became counselors. And so yeah. we know what it, what it takes. And so the gatekeeping component, right? We've, we've received feedback. We know what it feels like to sit with that hard, right? Like that, that hard receiving. We also know what it, what it takes to take risks to change things. Mm -hmm. And then what it takes to, um, to celebrate, right? Seeing client changes and then to take, um, to take those steps. And so, right. I'm all for collaboration and it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's an ongoing journey, um, in that space, but to just say, right. There are components that we do work better together when we can see how we do learn from, um, and with one another and, and how it carries out. Yeah. I love that. So Something I'd like to throw in too, uh, when I was working in a hospital, there were a couple of times where I applied for teaching positions at SIU Edwardsville and just barely got a sniff at the uh, interview process. So I thought, well, maybe it's uh, just meant to be that I'll be um, a therapist all my, all my life. And so just at the time I gave up on, on searching for the position, I get a phone call that says, hey, would you come teach for us at a different university? So sometimes sometimes things never work out the way you expect them to, but actually work out better than what I had planned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir, Ken, because that's my current situation. <laughs> Yet I am fully walking in faith that something, something better is out there. While we're on that kind of tangent, if it's okay, um, Kyle, you are recently graduated from your doctoral program. Can can you speak a little bit about your your search, maybe, and like what you're looking for, and you know what you found that's out there? Because I do think that that is kind of you know I love that we have so many different aspects of you know time and what things you know everyone's different journeys and stuff. Um, you're the closest to kind of what's going on right now for people that are going into 
looking for education? Yeah, I think the the wave of education when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion has shifted. Um, I think that if I was to join this field maybe two, three years ago, it would be like, oh, come on, you're welcome in, the door is open. Um, but I th find it somewhat challenging now within the, the DEI sector of council educators. Um, and that's just from my own experience due to what I believe research should look like or how I show up uh, as a researcher, how I show up as an educator as well. Um, yet that is, is in relation to me stating that I am choosing to be my authentic self is as if you want to hire Kyle, you're going to get Kyle. I don't believe in like trying to make my uh, application material manipulative or show up in the interview in a manipulative manner. No, I want you to see me because that's who you're getting. It's just me. Um, and I think that in many ways, not everyone is acceptable of who I am and what that looks like. And it's not that I'm entering into these spaces in any disrespectful manner or whatnot. I'm showing up as as respectful as I can, and I'm doing my presentations well, I'm teaching well, and I'm connecting with the faculty and staff. I just think that it just comes to a time where as we see politics is changing within higher education. People are not wanting to offer tenure. People are not wanting you to do certain type of research from a different research paradigm, or they're not um, uh, embracing your your method of teaching and approach. So that's what I'm probably running into, which um, I'm okay with, because then that lets me know, as Ken stated, there's something different out there, there's something better. Um, and whatever, wherever I'm supposed to be, that is where, what I'm going to enter into. I don't believe I'm going to be a clinician forever because I am tired. <laughs> so I am looking, I feel looking you. For, for something different, for sure. Well, thank you for sharing. And, and it is unfortunate that a field like ours, an accepting, understanding, empathic field, you know, maybe isn't as much, but um, thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm proud of you. We're friends. I'll just say we're friends. And I'm so proud of you and how brave you've been to go into the spaces and be your authentic self. And, you know, I'm always going to support that and encourage that. So good for you. And like Dr. Kubitschek said, it, the, when the right fit comes, it'll come, you know, yeah. and then it'll be, that'll be like the best version of yourself. You know, if you've entered into these other situations that weren't going to allow you to be that way, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy that. It wouldn't be you. You probably would leave in like two days anyway and say, all right, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's been such a shift in our society as clinicians and as educators and just our society as a whole. And so, Dr. Kyle, your perspective and how you're showing up is the future. It's it's what's needed. Yes, and I think is. that there is a perfect place for you, probably place is, just hearing you speak. So I look forward to hearing about how your path turns out. I just, I got excited listening to you talk, so. I agree. It is an important voice and look mm -hmm. forward to it much, much more in many more spaces. Yeah. Should we do a little Kyle plug? If anyone's hiring uh, out there who's listening to this podcast and is looking for an amazing human being that's going to be an amazing educator, we'll put his email in the show notes. Just kidding, Kyle. I'm not going to do that to you. You can find him. He's out there. <laughs> Google. but honestly google it's there on google <laughs> i was gonna say everybody can find anything on anyone these days it is out there but i agree i i think that you are going to be fantastic in whatever space you occupy occupy and every anyone is going to be lucky to have you so um everyone's journeys are so interesting so you're 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 kind of entering into this field you said you you're going to do adjunct for lewis or you currently are doing adjunct teaching for lewis yeah, I'm currently, my class ends tomorrow. I'm currently adjunct teaching for Lewis for this semester, uh, which is a, a research and counseling course. Yeah. Okay. But I okay. Very, very much so teach other courses as well. And I'm curious about adjuncting because I know that that's something that has come up before in conversations with me and other therapists. Like, And I think it's also kind of a, a time period thing too. Like, I think at certain times adjuncts like, you were someone mentioned about being oh dr ken you said uh you know you had to have a doctorate degree to teach and um then 
then you didn't anymore, you know, and then you could be a master's level and then teach. And so adjunct, just for anyone who's listening, does anyone want to talk about like what that looks like, what that means? Maybe, maybe at your respective places as well. So I can answer that in some ways it depends on the, the content, um, you know, so for most programs um, in the United States these days, KCREP is the accrediting body. And so there are, there are guidelines, um, not everyone, you know, has KCREP, but, um, you know, as, as the accreditation choice, but using the accreditation standards, the, um, you know, the frames that are given um, really highlight, um, you know, the specialty areas. And so thinking about, you know, bringing in um, adjunct professors, you know, when there are um, teaching needs, when, you know, thinking about the number of students um, enrolled in courses, all, all that plays in, that's often how you know decisions are made and so thinking about hmm. a master's a master's level license um you know holding a holding a license or hold, holding what it um what is needed for um demonstrating um expertise in an area that that kind of is woven into what what is the I'm, I'm jumbling my words here, but like that would be what is wrapped up in what it takes to to just demonstrate um, the the standards of adjunct meeting criteria. So you don't have to have a doctorate degree. You you can have a master's level, but exhibiting some expertise, some competency in that area would would still be acceptable in a lot of universities. Yeah, and a lot of it, and, and my colleagues can speak to this too, it, you know, much of it would depend on the course that is being taught. Yes, uh, yeah. You know, if, if it is, a, you know, addictions and counseling is a, is a course that is part of the, you know, the core um, courses. Having someone that has a CADC is, you know, a, a certified addictions counselor um, is a great attribute to the, you know, to the course. And there are many master's level clinicians that have that who do not have a PhD that would bring much wisdom and richness and, and practical application in teaching that course. So that's just one example. And that's a great example, because I think people are looking in this kind of like we we're talking about the climate of, of our field, like looking for some diversity in what their day to day looks like. And I think if if kind of what I'm understanding is that there are adjunct, you know, positions out there that you don't need a doctoral degree to, to do that you can be a master's. And if it, if you have complementary experience to that, that you, you got a shot. <laughs> so if people are looking to diversify their, you know, uh, careers and what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, like looking at some local um, colleges in your area, seeing what their job postings are and see if that's something that would be interesting for you. I'd, I'd just like to kick into maybe a, a, somebody at the master's level wouldn't hurt themselves by just taking one or two teaching methods courses that are not uh, related to the counseling profession, just to get a feel for uh, different ways you can teach a subject matter. Because I've, throughout my student career, I had instructors who were geniuses in their field but horrible instructors <laughs> i had other instructors who were maybe um in the medium uh median i think those teaching methods courses can can help a lot recap what you said but taking some teaching courses which you i think you either read my mind or you read off of our questions list because that was kind of the next question i was going to ask was do you have any suggestions for you know some advice or something for people who do want to teach? And I think that's a great one is to take some some teaching type of courses if you want to do that. I'm I'm imagining too that that would look good if you're applying for a teaching position. 
um, and that you have some kind of an idea of the framework that you're going to be coming from. I think that's excellent advice. Does anyone else have any other suggestions um, to yeah, anybody who's looking for that? I, I've heard a lot of clinicians say that they've been told by universities that, that they don't have any teaching experience and they haven't necessarily taught at a university or in an educational setting, but in other capacities. And so sometimes they struggle with being able to get that point across or demonstrate that on their resumes and in their interviews. What suggestions do you guys have for that? You know, I mean, similarly, as we've seen, the different settings, you know, Carmel, as you're highlighting, people are doing workshops as counselors, leading and facilitating groups in different ways that do require teaching skills, recorded examples. It also helps to have um, collaborative relationships with, with faculty who have, you know, the, just the, who can speak to Hey, I have I have watched this um, you know this person in a teaching space, who can also provide resources, who can you know I, I can I I love the suggestion of finding a space where um, pedagogical andragogical practices you know someone can learn um, you know take courses do um, do that along the way, it will only help sharpen um you know up a, a a cv resume um and you know make someone much more um i don't want to use the word palatable but much more readily um you know to able to enter um if they are interested in in doing a, a, a an adjunct course and also be willing to teach courses that some counselor educators don't want to teach because there you yeah, go <laughs> because that really is is that's a real thing and so if someone is interested uh there may be a higher market in teaching um some of those courses um and if there's a if there's a great desire to hone in on those skills there'll be uh much more readiness to bring you on i was i was going to ask you dr randy okay on that note i mean there there is like a foot in the door thing right and there is probably a whether we want to admit it or not, kind of a hierarchical, like people who have been there for a while. And if you're a core faculty, I'm sure you get to pick what classes that you want to teach and what what is your areas of expertise. And there's probably the leftovers that nobody wants to teach. So maybe pick it up a couple of those classes if you're looking to teach, even though it might not be the most amazing, mind-blowing experience of your life, could kind of give you a foot in the door and maybe even just a taste of what teaching would be like if that's something that, you know, and being in in um so I, I little little side story. I just did a panel for Lewis University because they are also my alma mater, and I went there on Monday to talk about um, private practice. And I was on a panel with other private practice owners. And you know, I never like this is part of my oh, I'm we're thinking about we're doing this academia podcast. So I'm like kind of already like okay, now I'm in a school and I'm up in the in the front, and I was like oh my goodness, like this is kind of what it would feel like, except for I don't have two people to lean on who are also answering questions. It would just be me, um, and even just being in that space was kind of interesting, you know, and it. I don't know. It, it gave a, it kind of gave me a rush a little bit, and I was like, "Ooh, I, I kind of like this. This feels kind of cool up here." Um, so I think just the physical space too, and thinking about those things. And if you have to maybe teach a class that you're not in love with, it will still kind of give you a feeling of this is what teaching is like, and and do you want to do that and make your way into something that you really love to teach. Um, and I'm sure that that's great also for whoever you're doing adjunct work for, because they get to see you and what you're, you know, willing to do. And, you know, sometimes if we do really well at things that we don't totally love, like that's even better for our projection, you know. Um, so, yeah, love that. Little, little tip for everybody, little tip. Yeah. yeah. Well, documents. For an individual, a clinician that's looking to maybe interview, maybe they have some interviews set up with some of the community colleges or universities, what documents should they have readily available to present for those interviews? Um, I don't mind speaking on that since I, I'm I'm the newbie to the to the to the, the to the <laughs> scene of having to have all these documents. 
Um, one is for myself. I before applying to the positions, I put together a mini portfolio. Um, and so I did a CV. I, I made an appointment with one of my professors and we can we did a CV together. Two, um, I also put together a teaching philosophy that flows with my andragogy as um as teaching adults. Um, another document that I had put together because I was seeking a tenure track position was also my research paradigm or philosophy, which is grounded in critical theory. And I explained why and, and X, Y, and Z. Um, and then also another document that I had put together was besides my cover letter, CV, teaching philosophy. Um, lastly was a, a diversity statement, just, um, stating who I am as a person, what, why, who I am as a person, and what would I bring to your institution as, um, as a Black man, and what that looks like, and X, Y, and Z. So I think depending on the type of position you're applying for, I think having those things prepared is very important. Um, some institutions during the initial application process, they asked for those things, um, and then others did not until after the initial interview was over, and then I submitted all those documents. So I, that's how I prepared. I put together a mini portfolio. Oh, then also I put together my eval, my evals from the courses that I've taught. Um, and I'm not the one to, to hide and just submit all the beautiful evals. No, I'm going to submit to you all of the feedback from the students, good, and those who did not agree with the things that were presented in the course. Great. Thank you. Well, and I think that's super smart because it's also showing that you're you're being transparent about I have some areas maybe I would like to grow in. And you know, if that was a part of maybe some of your other statements. I, I want to kind of ask you about your diversity statement, if you don't mind. Um, is that something that you found institutions are, are you know, when you're interviewing are requiring or are asking for, or is that something that you you just do because that's you both both okay. Some institutions they are requiring a diversity statement um, upon the initial application process some are asking you to verbalize how you will diversify uh, the department um, during your initial interview and then some of them are, are also asking you to submit that diversity statement post initial interview before inviting you for a final one that's really good to know mm -hmm. And I like that they're asking for that. I think that's that's showing some some growth and some progress in in our in the academia field as well. Um, so I got I'm just going to run through. I wrote down what you said because I said, well, in the event that I'm ever going to apply for a teaching position, I'll write down everything Kyle said. Okay, CV, teaching philosophy, research philosophy, of diversity statement, and evaluations from courses that you've taught. Uh, that's some that's some good tips. And your oh, yeah. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Cover letter, kind of important. That old thing. Okay, well, that was awesome. That is very helpful. Um, yeah, yeah. Dr. Mandy or Dr. Ken, do either of you have anything to add to that? I may translate a little bit from what um what Dr. Kyle said, in that if you're not in a space where you're already teaching a course, thinking about places where you're giving presentations. You know, ICA, you know, gives lots of opportunities to regularly um, submit and, you know, if accepted, present um, workshops and using feedback that's that's received there on presentations like all of that can can help be brought into, um, you know, into the uh, the the pool of of evaluation material. And I would also just say keep remembering that your CV is a living document and keep track of what you're doing, um, places of service and all of the things that that happen. And so um, dust it off regularly um, because very quickly- you don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10 more. years later, somebody asks you for, for your <laughs> last 10 years of your history and you don't remember, like me. They said, oh, I'm going to need a team of people to tell me what I did over the last 10 years because I don't remember. Exactly. It all adds up. 
And, and to add Dr. Mandy onto what you said, I'm thinking from a, a clinical perspective too, you, like your suggestion for volunteering to do presentations or whatnot. I love that. I think that's super smart because that is sort of, dip, again, another way to dip your toe into the pool of, of teaching. And um, I think about private practice because that's the lens that I operate from. Supervision is very similar. I, I shouldn't say very similar, right? Because I talk to like a group of, you know, between one and three people, not 30, but it's a teaching lens that you think from, right? And they call it a supervision lens, but it is a teaching lens and how you evaluate where your, you know, supervisee is at developmentally, what sorts of things they need in order to help them progress. And there is feedback both ways, right? And I and I think you can take that if you are a supervisor who asks for feedback or you that is a part of your process, that would kind of be my private practice brain says that's like the equivalent to um, teaching in kind of a private practice setting if you do supervision. And I think that some of that can be mirrored. Now, I don't know how universities and other institutions would, would view that, <laughs> but I think that some skills like are very, you know, adaptable between the all, all kind of three of those um, suggestions. So that's awesome. And by the way, we are currently accepting proposals for the November conference. If either of oh, the little plug, very like nice present for the conference, and I'm on that committee for uh, reviewing those proposals. Just so you know. <laughs> so am I. I'm glad we both got on the committee. Yes. All right. So then, if you you guys do a great presentation and you and you sign up to um, present, maybe we'll have you on the podcast and interview you about what you're going to be presenting. So you can have two different experiences talking about it and maybe that would be helpful. And we will be at the conference with our microphones. We, we're gonna set up the podcast at the conference in November, so. <laughs> are we for sure doing this? We are doing that, Christine, yes. <laughs> I'm I know so we joked excited. about it, but now That's we're talking stellar. about it on a podcast, so I think it has to happen. <laughs> um, and we're we're on a mission to get you know diamond encrusted microphones just for at least a picture. Oh, I saw that. I love your mug. I was going to say something. I was like, oh, that's so Carvel. She has a diamond mug. I love it. Um, anything else on that? Yeah. Well, can I can I jump in on supervision? Um, you're you're highlighting something, Christine, that is also an opportunity when we think about counselor education programs, because students have practicum and internship, it is it may also be that universities need additional supervisors to um, to provide faculty supervision. And so that may be a pathway oh. for you know for people to fill roles of adjunct um, support. And so, right, as we think about additional, um, you know, additional roles, that may be another place where, one, relationships are important, right? Thinking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, the importance of keeping up with supervisee feedback, thinking about, uh, you know, your own, you know, clinical documentation, all of that, um, plays in and and again it's the what do you need to be a faculty supervisor really a master's level um you know degree uh a license some in for some in faculty you don't necessarily need to be licensed uh as a faculty supervisor but you do need a, a degree license is important because of the fact you were showing that you can adhere to uh the the standards of a licensing board um but that is another pathway to consider as you think about um adjunct roles in uh in a university setting as well i didn't even know that was a thing obviously yeah. because i don't work in a university but i did not know that was a thing so you, the faculty have supervisors no you'll Wait. be hired on as a um instructor oh. or supervisor to teach practicum or internship Got it as an adjunct instructor and so therefore it is a cv builder or resume builder for oneself and getting the Got experience it. of teaching um yeah oh, okay so you can that is i mean and that's a really kind of a cool thing to know if you're you know 
clinician first kind of thing, that would be like a good position or a good class to teach as an adjunct faculty. Seems like it's kind of natural, right? Yeah, That's I believe teaching those courses are very rewarding. I really enjoy clinical practical courses such as practicum internship skills or um, theories. And so teaching those courses, I believe over time, it uh, allows you to develop a very genuine relationship if you're choosing to with your students and and it depends on your your approach to teaching with me it's as humanizing the students in the space as clinicians and so one of the things that i do with students in those courses um before we get into the uh supervise supervision or talking about topics i do a mind body and spirit check-in so I check in when each one of them, they need to participate and check in and let me know how they are doing because they are new to this process of, as being a clinician. And so I want them to feel free and welcome to show up and just be themselves and letting me know um, as the instructor and supervisor in the space, if they're um, having any professional or personal challenges and that they don't have to be afraid of that because I'm here to assist and help them get through this process. So I think um, a lot of the students that is new for them to have an instructor who actually cares about, all right, you are human first, you're a clinician second, what is going on? And so that is one of the reasons why I really enjoy teaching those practical courses. I love that human first, clinician second. So on that topic of and I know we probably are getting to close to the end of our time here, but on the topic of uh, approach to teaching, do each of you, so Kyle, that was kind of your approach to teaching or an aspect of what you like to bring into the classroom. Are there other sort of things that stand out to anyone about your approach to teaching or your philosophy or, or your lens that you view that from? I would just say, for me personally, my goal was um, student involvement in the classroom, student discussion in the classroom. I absolutely abhorred lecturing. I would only do it if I absolutely had to. <clears throat> and I found, as I developed strategies to get students to respond to the, as as Kyle said, their personal experience or uh the particular topic that we were on to share their own experiences uh or thoughts about it good or bad eventually the the discussion would bring out anything i i might have added in a lecture anyhow so success in my mind were the classes where i said the least and um and that's when I felt the classroom feeling good. And I think the students did too, because when they discuss it themselves, when they say it themselves, when they hear their peers say it, I think it sticks with them more than listening to me drone on and on, so. Sounds like therapy. Of that. Such a good word. I had a, uh, Carmel on that same note, I had a professor who, probably my second year in the master's program, I asked a question about how do you how do you think about our classes? And she said, Yeah, I kind of just consider it a really large group therapy experience. And I thought, huh, yeah, I can see that. And it and it helped me just think about how the whole entire space um shifted. But um I know that one of the questions that um that you had sent us um beforehand to think about was like what classes do you teach um so i'll just i'll just say i have taught a wide range of courses um and when i was a phd student i had a professor who um ahead of time said hey if you want to really um, increase your your likelihood of folks wanting to hire you hone in and 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 study those courses that folks profess like I said earlier professor like professors don't normally want to teach like so get really good at teaching research get really good at teaching assessment get really good at teaching career and my colleagues are smiling so I'm saying this um but and so I thought okay I'll just start thinking about the courses that when I was a student I had a difficult time grappling with and that's what all that's what I'll focus on being an educator 
first, I already really loved assessment. And so thinking about how we as counselors start assessing before our clients walk in the door, I was really and am really intentional about helping master's level counseling students see assessment in counseling as something that they already do. And it's not something that only psychologists do. Um, and so giving a different uh, respect for assessment and a frame for learning and engaging in, in how assessment happens um, has been uh, kind of the, the anchor for me, because I started teaching that when I was a, a doctoral student, as I, I was asked to teach that as an adjunct. Um, but I don't like teaching any class the same way. Um, and so as a result, um, it, it gives creativity and flexibility for me in what happens. Um, and so with, you know, similar to, to what Dr. Ken said, the, the gift of students discussing with one another, bringing, you know, their thoughts to a space, my paraphrasing, reframing, bringing in the research, the data. Um, I also intentionally teach the multicultural counseling course. There are things that I, as a white woman, can say and need to say that shouldn't be the burden on my faculty of color colleagues. And so there are spaces that um, that I am intentional of, of just bringing to the class and providing lots of experiential opportunities for learning um, in every class that I teach. Um, and I think developmentally, like where are students in semester one, as opposed to not seeing clients, semester four where they're actively seeing clients and how different are they thinking collectively um, when seeing clients than when um when not seeing clients and asking like the question what do i do with my hands you know when when the anxiety is high uh and the uncertainty about how to engage um is still there so i'm taking so many notes i'm not even kidding i have like five <laughs> pages of notes collectively from what everyone has said and typically i do that when i have like a thought that i want to like say later this is just literally advice that you are giving our listeners on what to do i'm like oh this is like my own <laughs> all of this it's it's amazing and i dr manny love what you said about intentionally teaching certain classes um multicultural specifically so that you're taking on kind of a responsibility to do something important in that space and that's intentional for you and i love that that's a, and it's an interesting way that you said to look at the classes too that you've taken like we you know i kind of think about this we we know when you're little and you're trying to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life and you're like oh i want to be a teacher and it's just because you've been exposed to teachers so you know what they do you know what their day looks like or a doctor or you know you you start saying the things that you know because you've that you've had exposure to that. And something came up for me when you were saying that about, you know, I already had sort of assessment because I was a teacher before. So taking even in all three of your journeys and your walks of life that you've had and having those experience be intertwined into your teaching style and how you are going to, how you want your, sport, you know, your future students to experience the class compared to the way that maybe you experienced the class, you know, it's magic and I love it. And it makes me excited. It makes me want to be a teacher. Dr. Ken, I think you said something that I go, I should be, a, I want to go teach. <laughs> I'm easily motivated and inspired, but it was inspiring, you know, and I think all of your stories have been very inspiring today. So yeah. thank you for sharing all of that, sharing your suggestions and, and being here with us today. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Lots of knowledge, lots of wisdom, lots of tips and direction and encouragement. And thank you guys so much, Dr. Kyle, Dr. Kubacek, Dr. Mandy, for your time, for your expertise today. So all of our listeners, if you guys have any questions, you can always email us. Uh, you can always call as well. Go to ilcounseling.com.org, sorry, ilcounseling.org, if you have any questions with regards to the ICA. If you want to join, if you want to get a membership or anything along those lines, we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Christine, 
And if you want to, if you want to dip your toe into the presentation teaching academia realm, you can um, apply to do some presentations at the ICA conference. That is, uh, I think November, uh, beginning of November, November 10th, 11th, 12th, somewhere in there. So like Carmel said, go to the ICA website and look, look for some of those experiences if you're interested in seeing how that would go for you. Um, thank you all. You all are amazing, incredible, inspiring people. I, I think we should have a part two. That's just my own feelings about this because I feel like this could have been another three hour fun, beautiful conversation. And I think y'all are gonna inspire some people to look into teaching and be more gatekeepers to our world of counseling. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being you. And um, we'll, we'll talk to everyone next time. Thanks for joining and thanks for listening. Thanks. Hey, bye now. Bye.